Hello and welcome back to the Great Inflation versus Deflation Update, Part 12, March to the Scaffolds. This is Nate's response. Um, the article will be linked in the description, um, so if you want to follow along or just read it for yourself and take it in, um, that is an option for you, and let's get into it. The Great Debate, March to the Scaffold. I know I said I would finally be explaining hyperinflation here and i will be but there are a couple of points that vox has made and i simply cannot let stand so uh as much as i loathe to call and respond i loathe the call and respond style of written debates i it appears i must resort to it i beg your indulgence nate begins the eighth installment of the series by getting some things factually incorrect to begin with z1 did not begin to decline in January 2008 as it peaked at 52.9 trillion in quarter one of 2009, a figure it did not reach again until quarter three of 2011 when it hit 53.8 trillion. 2008 merely served as the warning sign as a total credit growth ceased to keep pace with the 60 year historical rate, thus triggering two quarters of a 10% growth in the federal debt sector in the later part of the year. Gold and silver prices certainly did rise during that same time as did the stock market, but that was the result of the near-unprecedented increase in the federal spending, which was taking place at that time. Even with the household and financial sectors contracted, the federal sector expanded by $3.3 trillion. Tax expenses, uh, 455.0820.00. Given that Vox acknowledges that there was a period of time in which credit was contracting and prices were going up. The actual timing of that period, uh, be it July of 08 or quarter one of 09, is relevant. He acknowledges that it happened. The rest of this elaborate hand-waving box here is suggesting that the fact that the federal government is spending the new money and that it somehow doesn't count as inflation. I am beginning to see the problem here. Vox has literally... Somehow, uh, Vox has literally just said, yeah, but it doesn't matter because it's government spending. If we were arguing about the health of the economy, yes, we could certainly point to the distinction and say it's not real growth. But we're not debating that. We're debating inflation versus deflation. Infla inflation is never real growth. That's the point. Of course, it's government spending, unless Vox wants to claim that inflation isn't possible in a communist regime, then he must acknowledge the purpose of this debate. It, the sector that increases is happening, it doesn't matter. That just tells you who got to spend the money uh, that was stolen from you. Vox later reinforces this error, and he is looking at Z1, or more precisely L1, as a, as a whole rather than its component parts. This is not unreasonable, but Unless one looks at the component parts, one cannot understand the importance of the consequences of the shift in the nature of the credit market that has been the federal uh, element bubble from 10.3% of the entire credit market to the current 20.6%. Uh, that's because of the purpose on, for the purpose on inflation, it doesn't matter who's spending the new money, it's new money. Government spending is merely the delivery method for injecting it into the economy. The method is neither limited nor temporary, nor is there a limit on how money, the, how much money the federal, the Fed can lend the government to spend because 
when a Federal Reserve Bank is lending money to its government, it isn't lending, it's straight up counterfeiting. Uh, then, yet again, Vox reinforces his error and even magnif uh, manages to compound it. When Nate sees as inevitable, as evidence of inflation, uh, the modestly high prices of gold, silver, and equity markets is largely limited to the asset or to the areas of direct federal intervention. This is why healthcare and higher education prices are still rising to new heights, while real estate is struggling to get back to where it was. The areas that are reaching new heights is where the outstanding 11.6 trillion government credit is flowing. That is where the malinvestment is still being directed. No, it is not limited to any areas at all. It is literally visible across the board. It happened everywhere. It even happened in the housing market where it was directed uh, by the fact that the housing values didn't sink nearly as much as they should have. And again, Vox is suggesting that where the government spends the new money somehow matters. It does not. What matters is new money is being injected into the system. All of this was bad enough, but I really fell out of my chair when I read this. Note that each of these hyperinflationary scenarios were a very short-lived were very short-lived, intended to be closely tied to seriously serious political upheaval. The longest period is two years, which happened twice in China during the 1940s. Note, however, these hyperinflation uh, lend or tended to take place after the war of major or major political upheavals. The frequency with which they take place after independence is gained by a nation is reminiscent of the high inflation that plagued the American colonial currencies in the continental and the continental dollar. If any hyperinflation were to take place, history suggests suggests it would take place after the collapse of the political and political chaos. It would be a result of it, not a cause. Setting aside the fact that Fox just argued that hyperinflation isn't likely because it follows war and political upheaval and everyone with a brain is predicting war and political upheaval, I cannot help but note that war and political upheaval are expensive, particularly for the losers. The losers uh, also suffer because the citizens lose faith in their governments. So you have a massive amount of debt you'll never be able to pay back, and you have citizens that won't have any faith in their government. What do we see in the United States right now? We see more debt than can ever be paid back. And at risk of sounding like uh, Cambridge economist, it appears we've reached a point where America's faith in its government is at a perpetual all-time low. I will be explaining why that matters shortly. Remember, it's not enough to merely print the money. The amount printed and distributed has to be greater than the con continuing contraction of private credit and the evaporation of bank deposits. And keep in mind that combining $4.2 trillion decline in outstanding household and financial credit sector credit since 2009 alone exceeds by a factor of nearly four the entire amount of U.S. currency presently in circulation. And by Vox's own metric price, they have been and are doing just that, except, of course, that private credit has nothing to do with it. Deposits are all that matter, and we have seen, uh, we have seen proven by the fact that the prices went up while credit was declining. Vox wraps it up with a bait-and-switch. Nate is correct to note that people are becoming increasingly drawn to hold cash in their hand, but forgetting that when cash becomes more valuable in this manner, it is strongly indicative of a deflationary environment, not an inflationary one. In an inflationary environment, one wants to take on more debt and hold less cash. In a deflationary environment, one wants to avoid debt and hold more cash. The intellectual gymnastics notwithstanding, 
uh, one's true position on this matter can be ascertained by one's material preferences and actions. I made no such claim about people in general. People in general are not drawn to cash at all. The point I made was that you, the newly enlightened reader upon enlightenment, were drawn to cash. Fox knows full well that I have been telling everyone to get out of cash, likely as long as he has the actual... This actually brings me to a question... Brings a question to mind. I am hoarding gold and silver and suggesting you should do the same. Does that... Does anyone here think Vox is hoarding cash? Enough of this. It's abundantly clear that Vox simply doesn't understand how hyperinflation is going to happen. He looks at all these big numbers and throws up his hands and says, literally, deflation is inevitable. Uh, come along, folks. It's time we left the cave because right uh, now you're just... You are still just like the people in the cave in the allegory of the people in the cave by the Greek guy. The first thing I want to make you understand is that hyperinflation is not the same as inflation. Inflation is an increase in the supply. Hyperinflation is a catastrophic event that happens in different ways in different economic systems. It's like death. There are really only a few ways humans die, but we can get to them in a near infinite number of ways. You can drown or you can uh, stick your head in a bag. Either way, you die of lack of oxygen to your brain. Even if you slit your throat and bleed out, the mechanism for death is still a lack of oxygen to your brain. Drowning and having your throat slit appear very different, but the mechanism of death is actually the same. Hyperinflation is like that. It's a mechanism for death. Currency, death, to be, yeah, to be specific. And we can... Get there in a number of ways. These ways vary depending on the circumstances like the superficial structures men have constructed on top of the actual economy. For example, in controlling economies like the USSR's hyperinflation delivery method is easy to spot. The government just keeps spending and spending and raising everyone's wages until things go boom. But what is the boom really? Uh, is it just an out of control train? Why can't they just stop printing new money. Remember back when I explained what money is? Remember how I talked about how there is a constant commodity competition? It never stops. There's a constant struggle to decide what people will want. The commodity people want the most is the commodity that will be the easiest to trade in the future and therefore becomes the money. Now when the government intervenes and says you will use X as money, they have... Uh, short-circuited the competition to give an unnatural advantage to one commodity over the others. However, that comes with a cost. People uh, want something they would otherwise not want because the government says so. This works so long as people have faith in the government. They have faith in the government that the faith will get transferred to the paper, slips, or magic deposits. If they lose faith in the government, like after losing a war or after a big political change, then they can also lose faith in the currency as well. By that, I mean there is no, uh, they no longer have faith that they will be able to exchange their paper slips for the things that they want and need. Folks, hyperinflation is not an increase in the money supply. The rapid and catastrophic increase in the money supply is a symptom, not the cause. Hyperinflation is what happens when people decide that the fiat money that they, that they have in their pockets and in their accounts is no longer going to be honored in the future and start spending it as quickly as possible. That is the unstoppable train of inflation. The printing press cannot be stopped because the people will not 
stop spending the money as soon as they get it. They don't want the money. Uh, there are other commodities that have more faith in, but the government has interfered and forced them to use this crap that they don't want. This is evidenced by their behavior. The International Accounting Standards Board established this list of criteria to diagnose hyperinflation. The general population prefers to keep its wealth in non-monetary assets or in a relatively stable foreign currency. Amounts of local currency held are immediately invested to maintain purchasing power. The general population regards monetary amounts not in terms of the local currency, but in terms of a relatively stable foreign currency. Prices may be quoted in that currency. <clears throat> Sales and purchases on credit take place at prices that compensate the expected loss of purchasing power during the credit period, even if the period is short. Uh, interest rates, wages, and prices are likely linked to a price index, and the cumulative inflation rate over three years approaches or exceeds 100%. What we see here is a clear pattern of people rejecting cash. I say cash, but it works for whatever is represented in the deposits as well, though generally the deposits disappear as folks stop bothering with banks entirely. Their government is telling them that they have to use. Uh, this is why I was amused when Vox suggested that I was forgetting that in a deflationary environment, people want their cash. I am not forgetting that the behavioral differences is key to my case. During the American Great Depression, people hoarded cash. They buried it in their backyard and hid it in their mattresses. In Weimar, people wallpapered their houses with it, literally. The key is Americans retain faith in their government and therefore the bursting power of their money. In Weimar, they had enormous debt and had just lost a major war. They did not maintain a faith in their government and therefore lost faith in their fiat money. The reason hyperinflation often follows war and political upheaval is because those are two excellent reasons for folks to lose faith in their governments. As further evidence of this point, I once uh, again uh, I point once again to Weimar. Note that after the hyperinflation, a new leader emerged and restored faith in the government, and the next decade was referred to as the Golden Age of Weimar. Uh, this should also bring to mind FDR and the fact that in spite of his rampant stupid, uh, people had faith that he was going to save them, thus they never rejected their fiat money. This is why the broad definition of fiat is more important than the specific credit nature. Because once people lose faith in money, it's not uh, money anymore. Once it stops behaving as money, what is represents or how it creates or how it gets delivered into the system doesn't matter. Because no one wants it forced to take it, they will get rid of it as soon as possible. So hyperinflation starts with people rejecting their fiat money practically. That means they stop saving and start spending. They spend as soon as they possibly can. This drives up the price and creates an unstoppable demand cycle that forces the government involved to simply change the rules and crank up the printing press. Did you catch that? The important phrase here is change the rules. Vox and other deflationists and defla are deflationists because at heart they are system guys. They understand the system and how it works. What they ignore is the system can be changed and will be changed. They will have no choice in the matter. Hyperinflation isn't a decision that is made by governments or central banks. It is made by people. Uh, now, in some cases, governments can take action deliberately to cause hyperinflation to uh, happen, 
to, but ultimately the mechanisms is the same. The people reject the fiat money they are legally being forced to use. There's one way we get hyperinflation, but there is another way as well. Right now, the dollar... Uh, right now, the dollar is the world's foremost reserve currency. I say foremost because it's not the only reserve currency out there. Uh, it's just the one that folks have the most of. Uh, that creates the and sustains the enormous demand for U.S. dollars. If one looks at international activity during the financial crisis of 2008, we see folks actually scrambling to get dollars. Demand for U.S. dollars uh, worldwide went up. That in and of itself helps to disguise the inflation within the U.S. internally. This is because... Generally speaking, folks inter internationally figured if anyone was going to make it through the collapse, it would be the United States. I'm not trying to laugh as I type that. Uh, it's like saying if anyone was going to make it through the nuclear blast, it was going to be the guy standing at ground zero shouting about the bomb not uh, really being as big, being a bomb at all. Nevertheless, right now, there's an unknown amount of dollars deposited in banks accounts and held by governments around the world. The interesting bit, the Fed has no idea how much. I'm going to repeat that. The U.S. Federal Reserve has no idea how many U.S. dollars are floating around outside of our borders. Right now, that money is mostly not doing anything, just sitting in accounts. It has no velocity, as we can call it in economic terms. Any ideas what happens when those folks decide that they don't want U.S. dollars anymore? They spend it. You know what happens when they start spending it? Right. Kaboom. Think about uh, think back to what happened to the price of platinum when the USSR up and dumped tons of it on the market. Now imagine if everyone else dumped their platinum too. And in response, the USSR just kept dumping more and more uh, platinum. There is a finite supply of platinum in the world. Dollars, not so much. As the money that is just as the money that is just sitting around gets reinjected into the system, the price of the US dollar goes way down. As the price goes down, people lose purchasing power. As people lose purchasing power, they spend more to get out what, uh, while the getting is good. And the cycle is born. Again, the credit uh, nature of the money is irrelevant. The money is rejected and new rules will be written. Uh, that is why I reject Mises' definition and instead focus on what makes money the dominant commodity in one going... That is why I direct... Reject Mises' definition and instead focus on what makes the money the dominant commodity in one going commodity competition. In an ongoing commodity competition. Because if you have an artificial advantage like that, then once that advantage is taken away, you get a disturbance. The people reject the former money and pick a new money. This happens in different ways. It can be relatively smooth in the case of conquered nations switching to a new money issued by the invader, or it can be ugly as hyperinflation when the government tries to keep a dead currency alive via printing and spending. So not only do we see the deflation is not only inevitable, it is incredibly unlikely. We are seeing signs already. The dollar is being rejected. Right now, China is negotiating a deal to trade directly with Austria without dollars. That This is a big deal. Iran is no longer pricing its oil in dollars. This is also a big deal. Uh, we have people rejecting the dollar here at home as they spend and spend. We have celebrities who have suggested that their contract should be negotiated in euros. And think about it. That was before the printing uh, got good and started. We have several states considering passing laws making gold and silver 
legal tender. These are behaviors associated with hyperinflation people. It's not going, it's not only going to happen, it's going to happen sooner than you think. So right now we have two separate mechanisms, an internal and external, pointing to the rejection of the US dollar, both lead to the same place. Uh, we are entering what historians call interesting times. In the immortal words of Admiral Josh Painter, the businesses will get out of control, it will get down to the control, uh, and we'll be lucky to live through it. Okay, well, you'll be lucky to live through it. I'll be fine. As for the debate, I suspect Vox will now finally realize how thoroughly the rug has been pulled out from under him. Uh, we were never debating what he thought we were debating. My case was never what he thought it was. Uh, physicians, how does that medicine taste? Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, the playlist will be at the end here uh, for your enjoyment. Have a good day.